The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. If you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage always, there's a few things you can take down. And when you're taking these notes, I mean, like, the, the idea of these notes is to uh, come to a place where there's a, a point of contact, where you hear what's being spoken, <clears throat> excuse me, and you, it makes a point of contact uh, in your mind and in your heart, <clears throat> excuse me, and sometimes that comes through the, uh, the writing of, uh, of those words down on paper. It also gives you something you can revisit. Uh, as you continue to, to ponder the things that are spoken, uh, you can go back and revisit those things in your own time. You know, we're all here together. There's, there's a, no doubt there's wonderful things happening. Uh, there's also uh, wonderful things happening when we're together only because there's wonderful things happening in each of us individually. And sometimes revisiting that word in your own time uh, can be very rich and rewarding. So uh, here's a few things you're going to find. Uh, first thing we're going to find is how to bless the Lord. How to bless the Lord. If you're like me, uh, there are times where you don't really feel like uh, worship. I mean, there's been uh, some even Sunday mornings where uh, I love Pastor Jared and everything that the worship team brings to, to uh, the, the congregation here. I've, I've pastored for a long time, a really long time. And, and uh, I can tell you the anointing that he walks in and the, the rest of the worship team walks in is just phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. However, there have been some Sundays where I've walked in, and no matter how great the anointing is on his life or how wonderful uh, that time of worship is, my heart has just been distracted, right? I mean, I've been maybe uh, uh, divided in my attention, so to speak, and didn't really engage. Now, there's something we can do to always put ourselves in a position to bless the Lord. We're going to find out what that is in the Scripture here, and I think that's a real handy tool because it keeps us from missing out on participating in the worship uh, that is so necessary for our lives. So another thing that we're going to find is how to really understand God's love. Now, I'm not promising that you're going to have absolute understanding because I know it's infinite and it's depths and, you know, our, our capacities are limited. But I do think that there are some things in the scripture we need to understand as it concerns God's love. And it, it begins to make things make better sense as we consider the rest of the scripture and the direction that God has for us uh, in our lives. And then the third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus came out of the grave with. I mean, everything that we celebrate today is the resurrection. And, and you, you understand that, that Jesus went to the cross, that he gave his life on your behalf, that he was buried, and just like he promised three days later, he came out of the grave. There's something that happened when he came out of the grave that needs to be a, a part of our understanding in order to help us live the best life we can as Christians. So I want to give you a few passages here. We're going to start off with how to bless the Lord. How to bless the Lord. You ever find yourself in that place where you just don't feel motivated to give thanks and to worship your mind or your heart's divided by stress or other things? This is a good thing to know and understand so that you can get things straight and give thanks to God. You'll find it in Psalm 103. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. So Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1, what you find here is, is this introduction that is really setting the table for what's going on here. It opens with this, bless the Lord, O my soul. 
right? So you have this, the individual that's writing this is coming to a place where they are releasing blessing to God. They're, they're praising, they're worshiping, they're giving thanks, however you choose to define that, it fits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and now here comes the instruction, and forget none of his benefits, that's really where the answer lies, how to bless the Lord. I mean, how to get yourself in that position to bless God, how to get yourself in that position to worship. Remember all of the things that God brings to the table in your life. Forget none of his benefits. The benefits of being called by his name, the benefits of having him be at the center of your life, the benefits of his love and his affection for you. If those things can be recalled, you can be positioned to give thanks. All of those things are the, the catalyst for and the provocation for gratitude. All those things are, are the very uh, cause for worship and thanksgiving. The reason why we praise is because God is good to us. The reason why we give thanks is because he's blessed us. And so when we can recall his benefits, it, we are brought to a place where thanksgiving becomes a very natural thing. I want to read the whole uh, section there like I promised, and we're going to move forward. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. He pardons all of my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems my life from hell. And he crowns me with loving kindness and compassion. And he satisfies my life with good things so that my youth is renewed. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Those are the things that I want brought to my mind. I don't want to think about the difficulties and the stressors and the hardships. I want to think about those things and be in a constant state of gratitude for all that God's done for me. Now, what I like to do is not just say something like that and then not be able to back it up, because this is a real important part of my life. I'm a bit of a structured thinker and maybe a little bit of a, a mechanical guy in my thinking, I want to know why. I don't want to just be told, hey, you should really always remember that God's good to you because that's kind of a burden. I want to know how to do that so that I can make it happen when it's not happening. And so the scripture is really powerful in that it gives us everything we need. We're going to look at some things as why there are benefits in the first place. And when you know why there are benefits in the first place, why we can say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget that he forgives my sins. Don't forget that he heals my diseases. Don't forget that he's redeemed me from hell. I want to know why I can say those things and it not just be because someone told me. And we're going to see in the scripture how this actually works. It's real and it's true. It's not just something we say to encourage each other through hard times. It's not just chicken soup for the soul but it's the redeeming, sanctifying truth of God. It cannot be denied. It is absolute. We're going to find why it's absolute in a few passages of Scripture, and we're going to use a word that we've used before here because it's an important word, and it's in the New Testament a few times. We're going to use a word that is, is, is a little bit foreign to some people, but we'll explain it. It's in your Scripture, it's in the Bible, and, and there's nothing weird about it. It's just not a word we use every day. That word is propitiation. I'm going to ask you to say it. Propitiation. Yeah, you ever used that word before? No. But it's a really powerful word. Propitiation is this word that's in the scripture. We're going to see it. it's in there four times. And it means for someone to take your place as it concerns punishment or suffering. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for your life. 
And when you begin to see that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for your life, you begin to see why you can bless the Lord no matter what's going on. Because you can know and understand that He truly does pardon your sins. He truly does heal your diseases. He truly does redeem your life from hell, crown you with loving kindness, and renew and satisfy your years so that your strength is made new as if you were young. I'm getting older, and I claim this verse every day. Renew my youth. Propitiation. We're going to see it in the scripture, but before we see it in the scripture, I want to see it in the dictionary, right? What good is it to see it in the scripture if you don't know what it means? It really doesn't do you any good. It might increase your Bible knowledge, and you can quote a passage of scripture and sound smart to your friends, but it really doesn't increase your understanding or help you live better, right? So let's figure out what it means. If you look up propitiation, by definition, it's defined as an atoning sacrifice. Those are other words that we really don't use. Atoning means like it worked. It washed it clean, right? I mean, if I spill grape juice on the carpet, someone brings in some carpet cleaner, and it washes it away, you could say it atoned for that stain that was on the carpet. It atoned. It made it go away. It satisfied the debt. Atonement is a really wonderful thing to understand and to comprehend. This is an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that worked. That's why Jesus is the propitiation for your life. He is the sacrifice that worked. The only one that would work. No bulls, no lambs, no goats, no sheep, no birds. Nothing could pay the price for your sin except one, and that's Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice. So now i got to figure out, well, what does that mean? What does atonement mean? So I want to look that word up. If you go to a, uh, the dictionary and look up atonement, it, it reads like this, reparation for an offense or an injury. To repair this, this injury, to repair this offense, the offense in my life is the sin and the corruption that I lived out of my selfishness and self-seeking and my rebellion to the will of God and the ways of his kingdom. And Jesus would enter in and bring about a repairing work for that. Repairing all that I had damaged. And then the word sacrifice, if you look that up in the scripture, or in the dictionary, excuse me, it's going to read like this. The surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. I'm going to read that again. If you walk away understanding anything today, you should understand the word sacrifice. Listen to this carefully. Sacrifice, the surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having higher or more pressing claim. It shows the value that God has on your life. That he would send that which was most prized, his very own son. That which was the most valuable, the one who is worthy, with a capital W. It's who he is. And that he would be traded and exchanged, given as ransom for you. Because you're considered as having a higher, more pressing claim. You're urgent. You're a priority. To see you redeemed and to see you washed, to see you cleansed, to see you empowered and set free from all those things that are dragging you down into death and destruction and darkness and captivity is a more pressing claim. Jesus is your propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. He is that which was prized and desirable, but given for your sake. 
because in God's eyes you have a higher and more pressing claim. So now let's see where this word is in the scripture because we're going to understand when we're done with this why we can, no matter what we feel like, come to the place where we can bless the Lord and remember all of his benefits. Propitiation in the scripture, we're going to look at four passages. Romans chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 23 and 20, through 25. We're going to start in 23. Romans 3, 23. Romans 3, 23. This isn't all-inclusive. You're going to find out why when you first start reading. We're all in this category as it begins to open up. It opens up here in verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every single person in the room. We all fall in that category. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, God displayed him publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance, in his forbearance, God had passed over sins previously committed. Man, it's a mouthful, right? I hear that and I start to nod off about halfway through it. But let me break it down and paraphrase what's being said here. This passage of scripture is filled with a lot of great things about you, but it's filled with a great thing about God. That last part is 100% about God. So all of us has fallen short. That means we all have sin. And it means that God publicly displayed Jesus as propitiation for our sins. And then you see why in the end. And it's really important what comes to pass here. This was to demonstrate His with a capital H. Who is that? That's God, right? This is to demonstrate God's righteousness. Because he'd overlooked all of these sins for so long. Now, this seems kind of odd. Like, why does this need to be said? This is the most important thing that we'll talk about today. This confirms that God is who he says he is and that he'll never change. What this means is that God, who is holy and is righteous, is truly holy and truly righteous. It means he couldn't just say, you know what, we'll just forget all this happened. But somebody had to pay a price. If no one has to pay a price, then he's not just. It's unjust for me to sin and there be no consequence. It's unjust for me to be rebellious and there be no consequence. If there is no consequence, then he's not just. If there's no consequence, he's not holy. If there's no consequence, he's corrupt. Somebody had to pay a price. That's what this passage of Scripture is about. It's saying, hey, listen, all of us had sinned, and God made a public display of Jesus because he's righteous. Someone had to pay. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Now, this is not meant to cause a shame in us where we realize, oh, my God, I killed Jesus. But what we realize is, wow, God is who he says he is. He is holy and he is just. There couldn't just be a whitewashing, a reset button. Let's just not talk about that. But it had to be dealt with and it was dealt with publicly. Propitiation. It's a powerful thing. Now we'll find it in another passage of scripture. So what we see in that first one, a confirmation that God is who he says he is, that he is just and that he is holy. You want to know something that blesses me today? Because there are people who do things against me that are unjust. And it's such a relief to me to know my God is just. And he will not let this unjust act go unpunished. 
He will not let this unjust act prevail, but that his justice will secure me. His justice will protect me. His justice will make provision. His justice will come and deliver. I love that passage of Scripture. Confirming who he is. He's just and he's holy. Now the next one, Hebrews 2.17. If you're taking notes, Hebrews 2.17. You know, we hear a lot of, of messages about how we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? I mean, I've preached plenty of them. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Did you ever think that Jesus has to be like you? Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things. That's you. He had to be made just like you so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. Now, here's why. So that he could make propitiation for the sins of all people. So that he could be the atoning sacrifice. I mean, if somebody ever asks, hey, why Jesus? Why Christianity? You can say, because we need to be cleansed. We need atonement. Well, how does that work? Jesus became just like me. And he lived in full righteousness and then offered himself in my place, the propitiation for my sins, the atoning sacrifice for my sins, that which repaired all of the damage that I'd caused through every rebellious act I've ever performed and ever will perform. I love that passage of Scripture. The fact that he's made like me, he's not some alien, some extraterrestrial, but he understands every single thing I feel and every single thing that I go through. Every temptation, every urge, every thought that's corrupt, he knows it all. It's not that he's some out-of-touch being that I hope to one day prove myself worthy to be even in the same room with, but rather he came to be just like me so that he could make a way for me to be just like him. Propitiation. And there's another one, 1 John 2.2. 1 John 2.2, it reads like this. My little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. Well, I'm interested already, right? I want to know what he's writing because I'd like to apply this to my life. My children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And that advocate is Jesus Christ, the one who's righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for all of the world. Pretty amazing, huh? There's a couple of ways that you can interpret this passage of Scripture, but I want to offer you one that I believe to be very important. And we're kind of out of touch with this after 2,000 years passed by. But that for someone to speak of, of the, the Jewish Messiah being born into the world and being released into uh, ministry and offering up uh, an atoning sacrifice, it would be very easy to see this as for the Jew only. But throughout the scripture, you see that God said, it's not enough that you just redeem my people, but that you go to the Gentile. That's me and you, by the way. Those that aren't Jewish and that you bring them in also. This passage of scripture to me rings out the confirmation that this propitiation is not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile also. When you have it penned by those who are Jewish and they're saying words like this, not for ours only, but also for those in the whole world pretty encouraging. Jesus Christ isn't just this salvation for the Jew, but rather he is the Messiah for every single human 
being, no matter where you were born or who you were born of. Propitiation for all. Here's a fourth one, 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And if that address is wrong, just blame it on copy and paste. But I think that's right. Sounds right. I told you before we're going to find out how to understand God's love. And I, I really believe wholeheartedly that this is a necessary thing to, to add to your uh, understanding in order to just know who God is and how he feels about you and how his love works and why it works that way. First of all, it opens with this, for God is love. So you have to understand this isn't a feeling, a thought, or an emotion. God's not temporarily infatuated with you, and when something shinier walks by, you're going to be a plan B. He is love. And his love for you is who he is. For him to love you is for him to be for you in every single way imaginable. Now verse 9, by this the love of God was manifest in us. Manifest, made known. This is how God's love is made known in your life. That God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is the love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again. Could have been a Christian your whole life and never heard that word. It's an important word to know. Not necessary for your Christianity, but I do think it's important for your understanding. To know who he is and to know God's affection for you. And if you take that passage of scripture and read it line by line, consider the following. God's love is manifest in me and that he sent Jesus into the world so that. Will you say so that? So that, I want you to say that because I want you to understand there's a, a reason for this. God sent Jesus into the world and now here's the reason. Here's the reason why Jesus. Here's the reason why propitiation. And the reason why is so that we might live through him. You know what that means? God wants me to live. It means God wants my sons to live. God wants my wife to live. God wants you to live. And to live what? That abundant life that he sent Jesus to bring. That life that's not just full, but that life that is abundant, that is spilling over on everyone around you. Everything that is God's kingdom, the joy and the righteousness and the peace, not only just being a part of your life, but being released through your life to everyone around you. Propitiation. There's a little bit more here that I want to unpack, but I, I want to, to wind down. We've got our kids here. We've got food cooking. So I want to move really quickly. As Jesus was crucified, as he gave his life, he said it is finished. And there's something about this that I think needs to be understood. He's not just saying, hey, this crucifixion is over. Uh, you can pack up and go now. He's declaring a work that was incomplete as being complete. I want you to consider this. Creation itself. Day one, work. Day two, work. Day three, work. Day four, work. Day five, work. Day six, work. Day seven, finished? No. Rest. What did Jesus mean when he said it's finished? Creation. Creation's now finished. Now that redemption is available... 
Now that propitiation has been made, creation's complete. And here's what happened to make it complete. Uh, when, the, when the crucifixion took place, several things took place. And these several things are really important. I'm going to read through them really quickly. And we'll unpack it at another time. Maybe just make a sermon about these things so that we can learn about these things. But Jesus literally took things onto the cross and left them in the grave. And he came out with something altogether different than he went in with. Consider that. Think of it like a magic trick, so to speak. I go in with this, and I come out with that. Ta-da! Only there's no magic. It's just the wonderful working power of God bringing about what is righteous and what is true. Let me tell you the things Jesus took into the grave. The first thing he took into the grave was the curse. I'll give you a passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53, 4-6. Now, the curse is the result of sin as it began, as it entered into the world. Adam sinned, Eve sinned. The result is this cursing. Cursed is the ground because of you. It will yield thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work hard. I've done some landscaping. It's hard work to make stuff look good in Abilene, Texas. Good God, it's hard. I got a call from a property manager to say, hey, things don't look good. It's like, have you looked around anywhere? Nothing looks good right now. <laughs> the, the reality is this is a, a, a more than just the ground and the thorns. This is metaphoric. It's going to be hard for you to be fruitful because of sin. Sin will make it hard to be productive. Whatever you put your hand to is not going to naturally produce by the blessing of God because of the corruption of sin. Now enter the blessing of God and the curse be removed and you have a whole nother situation. Jesus took the curse on the cross. Let me read this passage of scripture. Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely our griefs Jesus bore and our sorrows he carried Yet we ourselves saw him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's on the cross. He was pierced through his side for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And all of the punishment that should have been uh, for for us fell on him for our well-being. And by his stripes were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned their own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is the thing that we need to understand. The cross is Jesus Christ carrying all of our affliction and all of these things. Galatians 3 verse 13 reads like this. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse because he became a curse for us all. Just as it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a cross. In order that Jesus Christ uh, would bring about the blessing of Abraham, and it would come also to those in the world, that's me and you, the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture to understand. When Jesus was on the cross, he became the curse for me. Here's another thing he became. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. God made Jesus to be the curse. God made Jesus to be sin all on the cross. Here's a third one. Isaiah 53.10. Now, depending on what Bible you have, what translation you have, it might read differently, but here is an amplified translation. The Lord, the, for it was the Lord's good pleasure, it was the will of God to crush Jesus, putting him to grief, Another translation for that is made him sick. Made him sick. 
in order to render a guilt offering, a guilt offering, excuse me, that he would see his fruits, that he would prolong his days, and that the good pleasure of the Lord would prosper through his hand. That's kind of an odd passage of scripture if you don't understand what's being said, but Jesus not only became the curse, not only became sin, but became all sickness and all corruption that would lead unto death. All of those things he became on the cross. And when he was taken down from the cross, he was put into a tomb. What was put into that tomb? The curse was put into that tomb. What else was put into that tomb? Sin was put into that tomb. And then finally, sickness, disease was put into that tomb. Stone rolled away and sealed. Three days later, the earth shook and the stone rolled away and Jesus comes out. Sin doesn't come out. The curse doesn't come out. Sickness doesn't come out. But Jesus comes out and what he says will change our lives forever. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Authority doesn't belong to the curse anymore. Authority doesn't belong to sin anymore. And authority doesn't belong to death anymore. In fact, I got the keys to prove it right here. Amen is right. All of that garbage that destroys our lives goes into the tomb and none of it comes out. The only thing that comes out is light and abundant life. All in the authority of our King Jesus. I told you before what Jesus came out of the grave was going to be something we're going to find. I want you to have that for your notes. It's Matthew 28, 18. That declaration, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. He took all of our sin into the tomb. He took all of the curse into the tomb. He took all sickness and disease into the tomb. And he came out with all authority. All because of his holiness, his perfection, the propitiating work of God on your behalf, that atonement made for your benefit. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to close. Propitiation is why there are benefits in the first place. If I were to say, I can bless the Lord because I can remember the benefits of the forgiveness of sin, someone might say, yeah, but how do you know? I can say because of the public propitiation of Jesus Christ. Because he was publicly hung on that cross in my place. Because he was publicly buried and because he was publicly resurrected. It is the most documented event on earth. Unbelievable to know how much proof and evidence there is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, but yet we still wonder. I did some work in Israel. It was really uh, great, and it was, it was, I was there for about 90 days, and I, I experienced things very differently than most people probably would. I walked all over the place. I walked till my feet bled, and I was, I was moving and doing the things that I was there to do, and on occasion, I would get to stop and do some of the touristy stuff, you know, maybe see a site here or do this there. Saw a lot of great things. There's a lot of history there. You should go. It's really a great experience. But I want to tell you what I didn't see. I never saw a place that said, here lies Jesus of Nazareth. 
You'll find the tombs of a lot of people from history there. Joseph's tombs there. I mean, you can find all kinds of tombs of the prophets, but you will not find here lies Jesus of Nazareth. His resurrection is not just something we share to comfort ourselves. Is it the foundation of our faith? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your mouth that you confess and are justified and it is with your heart you believe and you are saved. Believing in the resurrection is foundational in who we are. Not just so that we're all in and we're fully committed, but so that we understand what it is that God's brought into our life. He didn't just raise Jesus from the dead to show off. He rose Jesus up from that grave to bring life into every single one of us. Propitiation. I want to pray for us this morning. And I want to ask God to take the words that we've read and the words that we've heard this morning and do a powerful work with those. And for each of us, that's going to be different. It might be a new understanding of the scripture. It might be something that's very, you know, intellectual. It might be something that's deeply spiritual. You may have heard something and realized that this work has been done because God loves you. You've never felt that before, but you don't want to stop feeling it. I want to trust and believe that the most effective minister in the room, that's the Holy Spirit, is at work in each one of us. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do this work in each of us. So wherever you're at, you're welcome to just be in an attitude of agreement or receiving. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the word of truth. We thank you for the propitiation that you ordained. That atoning sacrifice that we celebrate this morning. That empty tomb that testifies of the abundant life that's called to flow from each one of us. Let a new understanding of abundance be placed in each one of us that we would stop coming to church to get filled up, but that we would start living a life that's overflowing with your life everywhere we go. All that we say and all that we do, let it be your words, your actions, your kingdom released into this world for your glory. Let us have a new understanding of the work that you've done, that propitiating work, that propitiation performed on our behalf, that work that would atone and make a way for the removal and the lifting of the curse and the removal and the washing and cleansing of all sin and the healing of all disease and sickness, physically, emotionally, mentally. Let there be an awareness that this is why we can stand and bless your name and recall every benefit, forgiveness, life and healing renewal of strength and let us all be crowned with that loving kindness that your word promises let that crown testify to this world that your atoning sacrifice has not only been received but it is being lived out with every breath we draw let it all be for your glory we bless your name and we thank you on this wonderful resurrection Sunday be honored and be glorified through our lives we give you thanks in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.